0: Welcome back everybody to Heritage Radio Network on tour. I'm your host, Eli Sussman of The Line on Heritage Radio. And today we're broadcasting live down from Charleston. We want to thank the Julia Child Foundation for making our coverage possible. And of course to Charleston Wine and Food Festival for having us down here. I'm joined by the Castellucci brothers, Federico and John, welcome. I'm glad you guys could take some time to sit and talk with me about your business. Uh, We've got a chef we got the president and the CEO of the company uh, who wants to tell sort of a little bit about the family story and the and the family brand of restaurants yeah fred
1: you want to go yeah for sure thanks for having us we appreciate it it's uh You know the 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 whole family story goes way back our first family restaurant was in 1917 uh in providence rhode island and so um but over the years um you know my my father had restaurants up in rhode island and we made our way down to georgia in 1997 right after the olympics my dad had literally just lost lost everything in his business and put us in a volvo station wagon with a dog and a cat and three kids and drove down south so that's how we ended up in atlanta and uh, ever since then, we've been kind of, you know, opening, you know, family kind of businesses, very, very mom and pop in the early days, you know, we'd open a restaurant and, you know, we'd, we'd work it together. And then, you know, my dad would sell it to somebody and then we weren't working in that restaurant anymore. And, you know, we kind of just like bounce around from uh, project to project. Uh, but the, the company as it is today, the seven restaurants that we have, uh, six different concepts really started around 2007. And that's, when you know we all kind of came into the picture, and you know my my first restaurant was taking over a uh, restaurant that had gone out of business, and uh, Saint Ives Shopping Center, which is out in the suburbs of Atlanta, and really just worked hard to turn that business around. It was extremely slow in the early days, and just kind of worked on building relationships, one customer at a time, and and that turned into ultimately Iberian Pig, and then Double Zero, Cooks and Soldiers, Bar Mercado, Recess, and a second version um, of Iberian Pig. And my brother John went to culinary school, and he can kind of tell his story a little bit, but uh, my sister as well, who's with us, we're all in the business together, so.
0: It's such explosive growth, 13 years, seven locations. Uh, When you had that first location going, and it was feeling like it was kinda successful, Do you remember back where there were discussions with your father amongst the family that, oh, we're definitely going to turn this into sort of a big, sprawling powerhouse restaurant group? Was that the idea from the beginning,
1: or did it just happen over time? No, absolutely not. I mean, because even when we went to the, the second location, we were still pretty much broke at that point. And so when I signed the lease for Iberian pig and Decatur we literally didn't have the cash to get the restaurant open so signed the lease and just decided hey let's figure this out uh, so so
0: you kind of we're jumping ahead but you you've kind of led me to one of my later questions which is just fundraising you know a lot of people what they do is they open one restaurant it's successful and they use the cash flow from that restaurant to leverage the second restaurant it's you could call it a house of cards or a, a domino yeah. scenario and, and hopefully it works out. But what you're saying is the opposite, that you kind of went into the second one and you weren't you didn't have a huge amount to really fall back on. You were kind of wagering it all.
1: Right. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, you know, opening night on at I, Iberian Pig, I, we had about 15 grand in inventory on the food side, another 20 grand in alcohol unpaid for, which is illegal in the state of Georgia, by the way. and you know, we had overdrawn all of our bank accounts, like negative 10 grand on opening night. So we were basically in a do do or or die die situation. Honestly, I feel
0: like a little bit sick to my stomach just hearing that. And I know it was many years ago, and you've made it past that, but that sounds tumultuous and kind (laughs) of awful. Uh, Federico, I know that you went to Cornell, so you've always been the business side and you have always been the the culinary side, right? Did you guys know from a young age that that would be the split Were you guys, were you always like running around front of house with like a bow tie on and you were always in back no, messing around it was with funny. knives it was actually or
2: actually quite the opposite at first. Uh Fred always started in the kitchen uh, and would work saute at our one of our restaurants for Roasted Garlic at the time. And I would be kind of the busboy going out to the tables, clearing the tables. Um, and you know it was one of those things where I would always be in the dining room running around. Fred would always be in the kitchen. I would have him like you know make me dinner or whatever the case may be. Um, and then as we got older, I naturally found myself in the kitchen more often. Uh, Fred was kind of needed from a front of house perspective just from a financial business running as you can see we were uh, very smart business people early on uh, and so Fred going to Cornell and like learning you know all about how to actually run a business and not just like slide by the seat of our pants uh, when he came back to Atlanta, um, I was on my way off to culinary school, so we kind of uh, two ships passing in the night almost was there ever a point you
0: you know you went abroad, you were at WD-50, you did stages all over the place. Was there ever a thought of not coming home and maybe staying in a different city and and working somewhere else? Or did you always kind of feel that draw to return back to the Atlanta area? No,
2: I definitely, I mean, I always felt the draw to, you know, return to the Atlanta area, but there's always like the the drive to keep learning and pushing yourself and traveling. Um, So, which is why like traveling, getting out of your comfort zone and like, Trying to go eat as many places you can, or do like a one-day stage in a city you're not used to. Um, I still do that randomly. Um, and but coming back to Atlanta was always, you know, part of my plan. Uh, family is like a huge part of my life, and I can't imagine like the idea of you know them having a lot of stress and running the restaurants, and then uh, me like living in another city, having like a, my own operation or anything going on like that. So,
0: so my brother is my business partner, and we have some family members that are nice. unfortunately invested in our business, <laughs> right. uh, as we all know, the two worst decisions you could ever make is work with family and then take money from your family, <laughs> right? Um, so a lot of the, the best arguments, a lot of the most positive things that have happened in the business have come out of these moments when we both are really trying to achieve something. We're trying to move the restaurant in, a, in the forward direction but maybe we're coming at it from a different point of view. Uh, We've been lucky enough to to work through those. Obviously, you guys are sitting here with me, so you must get along to a certain point, but tell me about if there's ever been moments when there's been an idea that's been brought to the table that has been not universally received, and maybe you had had to fight for something. Maybe it was a dish, maybe it was what the dining room would look like, spending a little extra money on food costs, whatever it might be. Can you talk a little bit about the tension and and how you work through it? Well,
1: I'll say, for for the most part, it's been pretty smooth sailing, mostly because um, part of my strategy was to, like, throw as much shit against the wall as possible and just, like, try to... See what sticks and pick up the pieces and so everybody was so busy that like no one really had time to like get into these big arguments because it's like a divide and conquer situation like as soon as iberian pig was successful i was like all right we're doing double zero and my sister stephanie jumped in and like started running that concept and when it was a challenging opening like we jumped in and fixed it and made it better and so the the idea of just staying as busy as possible and and doing something new um has kind of prevented a lot of those uh, those big arguments, but I would say the 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 biggest arguments were early on uh, between my, myself and my dad um, because you know when when things were stressful from a financial situation and you know we were I was I was trying my best to kind of right the ship and and make improvements and you know he had this kind of attitude of like. We were gonna put as much value on the plate as possible, which what which meant our food cost was like forty five percent. You know, so like you can't run a successful business with forty five percent. But every time you try to like cut the you know chicken breast from fourteen ounces down to like eight ounces, it's like a, a blowout argument, and he's you know walking out of the restaurant. So thankfully, those arguments have uh,
2: long- subsided. Yeah. yeah.
0: So at a certain point, you ran out of siblings and ran out of family to put in leadership positions. You have seven spots. Yeah, You run a very large, sprawling operation. How many employees altogether now?
1: We're like 450 now.
0: So no. at a certain point, you had to get real serious and real professional about internal structures and hierarchy. And you can't be in every single kitchen, right. obviously, right? So, uh... What are some of the decisions? Let's, let's talk to you, John, first about yeah. the, the culinary side. What are some decisions that you've made over the years that has allowed you to maintain consistency when you're not there and also right. uh, keep the group growing and, and keeping things quality high and successful where you feel good about maybe not having to put every, touch every single plate that right, leaves right, the pass, right. you know?
2: No, and I think um, honestly, this is a big thing. Even in my short stint at WD50, and like seeing how uh, like Wiley runs that kitchen is like complete creative freedom for all the cooks. Like, I mean, everyone down from the stager that's been there for a month to the guy, the line cook that's been there for two years, is expected to have something on the menu. It's like, okay, what are you working on lately? What are your ideas? Um, and I think really just giving people the room to operate um, within that structure. So, you know, setting up a structure that's very organized in terms of like, this is how we're going to do our ordering. this is how we're going to do scheduling. This is how we're going to operate the line. But, um, to kind of like motivate people to come up with their own ideas, motivate people to operate within their own space is really important. Um, and I've always kind of had the role of being, uh, in the kitchen that's of the greatest need at the moment. So right now, you know, we just opened our newest location in Buckhead. Um, so I'm there running the day-to-day operations um, and then whenever we have, you know, a project that either needs a lot of help or attention or, um, you know, we spent a bunch of money at our new restaurant in Buckhead. So it's really important that I'm there making sure that, uh, that's operating at, you know, the highest level. Um, so I think, you know, just really creating, um, hiring really good people and, you know, executive chefs at our restaurants that we really trust put a lot of, uh, you know, weight and value in, and then from a menu developments perspective, um, just kind of helping guide whichever store I'm at the moment and support our other chefs within the company. And then, so from, from the business side, you know, there's a point at which
0: your singular bookkeeper yeah. can't handle the load and things just kind of they exponentially are growing and you need more bodies, right? So at what point, if any, did you install a director of operations? What are some steps that you took to um, make your workload hopefully a little bit easier and and keep things sustainable?
1: Yeah, so we actually just hired our director of ops back in September. And uh, he's been been somebody that was working with us as a consultant for about two years through some of our restaurant openings. He's been absolutely fantastic. And I feel like with every kind of successive opening, there's been a process that has been broken and then you kind of have to get in and fix that. So like the very first process, um, honestly was a lot of the kind of like, marketing, graphic design, printing, like all of the kind of like the office side of things that doesn't include accounting. And so after our second restaurant, that was the first hire that we made. And then right after our third one, the the next one was accounting because I had all the GMs doing their own books. And then I was going in and like verifying them, making sure that the money was there and things were not like totally broken. And that obviously is a process for, you know, a lot of, a lot of issues. So we hired, uh, our, a head accountant who who's still with us today and she's fantastic. So we've been able to like have little turnover on the corporate team and hire really qualified people and then put a lot on their plate. Something that's always been important, but has entered the discussion in a real dramatic way
0: in the last couple years is, uh, safe work environments and, uh, maintaining or creating a type of, in your case, it's a corporate culture. You have four fifty 50 people, um, that, That folks, they want to stay because the the work is good and they feel good about about staying for all the other reasons that you can create for them. So if there is anything that you've implemented in the last couple years that um, you can share with other folks that own restaurants that you feel are some of the things that you're really proud of on, on that front, not just we open seven restaurants, but what are some other things that you do internally or externally facing that you guys are proud of?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that our industry is headed like towards a, a crisis when it comes to the workforce and just creating sustainable lifestyles. I think that you know one of the things that that we're focused on right now is like how do we uh, make our um, restaurants more sustainable for people who want to have families um, and. You know, generally, it starts with uh, our corporate culture, which you know we have. We're you know we're serious about you know our mission and our values, and making sure that that is aligned throughout the, the entire like hiring, onboarding, training, and you know ultimately discipline um, process, so that our corporate culture is you know consistent across all the brands. Um, and we are creating places that people want to work. I think you know the the hardest thing about corporate culture is like creating one that's authentic and that can be duplicated and one of the things that i think is oftentimes you know you can we can talk about benefits which we do all those things and you know you can talk about the the bells and whistles but at the end of the day it's really about creating a culture of trust um and integrity and that has to start at the top and trickle its way through every decision-making process so people know that when you when you say you're going to do something that you actually follow through on and you do it Um, and i think that at the end of the day, that's that's the one thing that we have going for us as a family-owned company is that, you know, they know that there's not some private equity investor out there that's going to make a decision that gets trickled down to somebody that says like you have to, you know, cut costs on this or do something differently on that. Like at the end of the day, we have the best interest of our people in mind, our guests in mind, and all of our decision-making flows from that perspective, and I think that as a family-owned company, that's like one of our biggest um, advantages.
2: And from a culinary perspective, um, you know, it's one of those things where you have, you know, your line cooks and your sous chefs and it's almost, I always remind all of our, you know, hiring chefs, it's like, you know, this is almo- it's almost like dating, like you need to make sure they're trying you out as well. And if you're not stimulating them from a creative perspective, from a growth perspective, they're going to leave and you know you see it so many times oh i worked at this restaurant for 6 months I w- then i worked for this restaurant group like we're looking for people that want to stay with us for like multiple years and so one thing you know that i do a lot is just sit down with them you know not during the working hours when we're getting crushed doing a busy service but be like hey how's it going you know what do you want to learn like where what do you want out of this and what can we do to make sure that we're helping your growth and if that means that you want to transfer from Iberian pig to go learn how to make fresh pasta at double zero because that's something you're passionate about, then like, let's make that happen. Or if, you know, you're about to go to culinary school and you want to work on knife skills, like then let's stay after and let's, let's work on that together. You know,
0: something that's great about opening more spaces is that you give people the opportunity to horizontally or vertically grow, right? Exactly. Exactly what you're talking about right now. But how do you evaluate those new growth opportunities? Like there can be a... Uh, there can be like an excitement that fuels opening spots that might not be directly correlated to success. And so by that, I mean like you can be hungry for it, but it can be the wrong type of hunger. So you guys have a lot of spots right now. I I assume that in the Atlanta area and other states, you have people coming and knocking on your door. Hey, open here, consult on this. Mm -hmm. How do you make those choices about when you're ready to do something new? Um, And then furthermore, any thoughts on leaving the Atlanta area for future projects?
1: Yeah, certainly. I think that the the biggest decision about growth um, there's there's a financial element to it of course because these things aren't free anymore. Our initial budgets on restaurants were super low and now they've gotten more and more over the years. so that becomes challenging. Then there's the the personnel element. if you're pushing the company too fast and too hard, uh, you're gonna you're gonna lose that excitement for growth. like you said, you want your people to be like excited about new opportunities, not fearful like, Oh shit, what is this going to be like when when like the whole thing comes crumbling down? So you want to do it in in a way that feels good to the organization, but you're also you're also pushing too and it's going to stress the organization. So you have to have that kind of balance of like let's push and stress but then let's make sure that we're doing a good job in the existing businesses and that's really up to us to decide like are we actually doing a great job at all of our other businesses before we decide to move forward with something new and i think that that's you know one of the things we've done pretty well is we've looked back after every opening and say all right what's the where does everything else stand do we feel good about you know the success we have everywhere else if we feel good about that then let's forge forge forward if we don't it's time to like dive in and fix and work on things and and so we're kind of in the like diving in and working on mode on the, all the other businesses. So, you know, while we are looking at new stuff, we're not getting too, too serious about it.
2: It's about talent too. I feel like if you have the talent and you have an idea um, and you have someone that you feel like is super talented that can execute that idea. Um, but we let a lot of times the people within our organization, especially from a culinary perspective, as they grow, like, oh, this would be the perfect opportunity for them in this capacity. And so I think it's a lot of people um, like a. A people thing as well.
0: Sometimes there's a a tendency when you're very close to your business partner or like you're related to them. It can sometimes be the opposite of the disagreements that we talked about. It can be like an echo chamber where you both kind of build each other up. And it's nice to sometimes have an outside voice from outside the organization, outside the family. Do either of you, both of you have a mentor or someone that you pick up the phone and call maybe in the Atlanta area, maybe not who you, you bounce things off of that, that, might bring a new perspective to
2: things that are going on in your day-to-day? That's a good question. I have a friend in New York uh, who's also in a uh, family-run restaurant with his brother and his parents. Um, So a lot of times I'll reach out to him um, and just kind of like pick his brain about, you know, the issues he's dealing with or, um, you know, how involved he is in their day-to-day operation. And it's good just to kind of have someone that is going through something similar as you that's not a family member, uh, just to kind of vent to and and go through uh, those those options. I think that's I think it's critical. Yeah. Oh so yeah,
0: we, you got to have who can an outside vent voice to who isn't a family right. member is like the most sane thing you can do. Exactly. Yeah, for sure,
1: for and sure. And what about you? Is there something yeah, that you Yeah, no, reach absolutely. Out to? I mean, I have uh, there's a a, gr- a small group of restaurateurs. There's uh, four of us. We do like a quarterly meeting and they're based in different cities uh, all over the country, so not like competitor, um, and we kind of do like a once a quarter deep dive into some of the business issues that we're having. So that's been extremely helpful for me. And then just picking up the phone and kind of reaching out to other friends in the business. And you know, there's a, we do like a once every six month dinner with like a few of my buddies who own restaurants in Atlanta and just have like kind of like a bitch sesh. But you know, it, it is helpful though. Yeah.
0: I'm gonna get you out of here on this last question. I'd like for both of you to, to tackle it. Um, but basically, now that you have several places open, you, you kind of you understand what it 's like to go from two to three um, if there's really one piece of advice that you could hone in on to someone who has their first restaurant and thinks that they 're ready for the second restaurant is there Is there something that you did wrong or that you did right that you can offer up to them as they 're sort of embarking on their expansion
2: um, I think for me it would just be make sure that you have the you know the human capital to do it and make sure you have. People who you trust, uh, I think the worst thing is to, to be opening a restaurant and all, trying to hire all positions. I think if you have um, you know, people that you really trust um, that you know, can be your voice of reason when you're not in the building, um, I think that's probably the most important thing.
1: Yeah. I think most people, when they go from one to two, they just split themselves in half. And that becomes really, really challenging because you can't be in, in both places at once. So you really need to make sure that you have somebody that's taking care of number one. But at the same time, you know, you can't just labor over it forever. Like you have to get out and do and like, if, we, if I had just sat there and tried to perfect everything we were doing at one, we never would have opened Iberian Pig, which was our most successful concept, and then opened a second location. And the growth of the company never would have happened. I would have just been toiling out you know, in, in Johns Creek for years trying to like get that business off the ground. And while it's, been, it's great today, it's taken us you know, 13 years to get that business to great, uh, we never would have done any of this. So like at the end of the day, you just gotta sack up and do it.
0: Federico and John, thanks so much for being here. Can you shout out, there's, a, there's gotta be a website that contains all the restaurants, right? Where can they go and find out? Yeah, about yeah, all for the sure,
1: chgrestaurants.com. Cool. Or just find yeah. us on Instagram, all the businesses are on that.
0: All right, guys, thanks so much for taking some time. I, I hope you enjoy the rest of your time down here in Charleston. Everybody listening, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with way, way, way more content from Heritage Radio Live down here in Charleston. Thank you so much to the Julia Childs Foundation for supporting us, and, of course, to the Charleston Food and Wine Festival for letting us come down here and broadcast live. We'll be right back here on Heritage Radio.
1: This program is powered by Simplecast.